Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Gavriel Hakoen. And I'm cult survivor, cult expert, Sadie Carpenter. How are you doing today, Sadie? How's life? <laughs> life is life is good. I'm hanging in there. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I'm having a grand old time. Um, I've been enjoying some pineapple salsa that I made. Overall, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling really happy right now. Oh, I had um, pumpkin spice cinnamon rolls yesterday. Hey, that's a good food for it's it's becoming fall now. I feel like we're at that cusp when it's like the end of pineapple season. It's the beginning of pumpkin spice season. It, it feels like fall here. And that was a, a really fun little weekend treat that I had yesterday. Well, I'm happy for you. Uh, pumpkin, well, pumpkin cinnamon roll. That sounds delightful. Today, we have... A treat for you guys, just like Sadie's pumpkin spice cinnamon rolls and my pineapple salsa, pineapple corn salsa that I made. We are doing a Q&A episode where we are answering your questions. These are questions that uh, some of them are from email. Some of them are from uh, responses to a, a post that I made in the Facebook group asking for uh, uh, questions for a Q&A episode. We got so many questions that we're going to have to do two Q&A episodes. So this week and next week, we're going to do Q&As and we're going to answer all of your guys' questions and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to try to get through as many of them as, as possible. We might be a little bit time limited, but that's what we're going to do. 
I'm excited about these. There are some great questions in there. That's the plan for today. Uh, but before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, you can subscribe to our Patreon um, at patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. And on our Patreon, we have extended uncensored and ad free versions of most of our podcast episodes. These, these episodes also come out a few days early, so you can listen to them over the weekend rather than having to wait for Monday to listen to them. Um, we have an extended version of our episode about Jill Duggar's new book, Counting the Cost. We have an extended version of last week's episode, uh, which was about deconstructing the story of Jephthah and his daughter. Um, we got into some great discussions on that one, and no doubt there will be a little bit of extra stuff on today's episode that goes on the Patreon as well that isn't on the regular streaming cut. So you want to subscribe to the Patreon to get access to that. You can also join our Facebook group and our subreddit. Those are both called Eden Exodus. So if you go to Facebook, search Eden Exodus, you'll find it. If you go to Reddit and you search Eden Exodus, you'll find it there as well. And I guess I don't have anything else to say except that we need to thank our patrons. We have so many new patrons now. I want to thank everybody that subscribed to our Patreon in the last couple weeks, in the last month, because there's a bunch of new ones um, and you guys are all the best. But we have three I gave it all to your patrons. Your names are, as always, Kathleen Moncrief, Melissa Mosley, and Todd Dale on behalf of his lovely and wonderful and amazing Deconstruct Arena of a wife, Madeline Antrim. We love everybody who has gone through deconstruction. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, big thank you to our I gave it all to your patrons. We also have many faith promise missions to your patrons who we are also deeply thankful for your names are alex p ali allen anisha patel autumn of our discontent i love that one Brittany, brooke tolly chrissa crystal patterson dear ethan hansen the musical dora j eleanor donahue enchanted fairy hannah ross hope norum horton here's a shane janine collin Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna K. Terwee, Kristen Marie, Learned Vixen, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, Madeline Antrim, Maggie Fink. Oh, Maggie Fink is a new one, I think. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Marlena Stuve, Marsha Millard, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Rob the Methodist, Sadie's actual BFF trademark. She's back, Sadie. She's back. BFF. Um, Stephanie Johnson, Steve and Amy, Susie, Tara McNamara, Ten Ten, and Wes the Cowboy. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, a big thank you, of course, to the I Gave It All tier and Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. A big welcome to those of us, those of you who are joining us over on Patreon recently. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon, no matter the amount, and to all of our listeners who support us in other ways. 
downloading our show every week, making sure the subscribe button is clicked, leaving us a positive review, recommending us on social media, shouting us out to friends and family. All of that makes a difference. All of that is part of why we're able to have the show that we have. And we're thankful no matter what your contribution is, we're thankful for it. Thank you guys so much. You guys are all the best. Sadie, do you want to uh, hit us with the TW? Sure thing. In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, and PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will mention at least a few of these topics, but we try to avoid any graphic detail unless it's necessary to the story that we're telling. And if we're going to go into that kind of detail, we let our audience know before we start so that people can skip if they need to skip. All right. Um, and this is, we're covering a lot of different topics today. So yeah, so we will individually TW as needed throughout the episode. Yes. Okay. So I'm. let's start with the first question, question at the top. This is a fun question from, uh, I, I don't have the names of the people who asked all of these questions in our doc. So I'm apologize apologies i'm not going to be able to name you guys when i'm asking these questions but here's a question from a listener and this says as someone who is queer and an ex-fundy now an atheist i found it was easier but still hard telling my family that i was pansexual compared to when i told them that i no longer believed in god did you find it harder telling your family that you were queer or that you were leaving the ifb that's an excellent question Thank you so much for asking it. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts? I don't know that I'm super qualified to answer this one because I'm. There, it wasn't one moment of telling my family that I was leaving, because it was it was more everybody in my family was rethinking things and finding their own place within Christianity and religious beliefs at the same time. And there was a sense that we were all going kind of insane in the same direction, but not on the same path. So it, I did not, I was very lucky. I did not have to, like Jill Duggar, and she had pictures made of her wearing pants and somebody told on her to her father and her parents were still IBLP and she was suddenly not, and there was a conflict over it. I didn't have that experience. I was wearing pants and going to movies um and got my first non like earlobe piercing i have i got a cartilage ear piercing and a tattoo kind of all in that same my first tattoo all in that same era <laughs> of early deconstruction but it wasn't a single moment of like oh no i have left the ifb because i think we were all in limbo we were all not sure if we're IFB anymore and not sure what we are and trying to find out what, figure out what we are. One of the things that I've heard from a lot of listeners um, and a lot of different listener stories is they will move out of their parents' house to either get a job in a different city or, or go to college or something like that. They will, and their parents will say, did you find a church? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, yes, I found a church. And sometimes they'll say, what's the name of the church? I want to look them up to see if it's okay. But other times they like won't do that. They'll just be like, okay, great. Glad you found a church. And then they'll find out later, oh, it's not a KJVO 
independent mm-hmm. Baptist church. It might be like a non-denominational church or something like that. And then that's where issues start to arise and that doesn't come up until later. So it, I didn't have like that moment. Um, and then I, when I came out to my family, I think different having that conversation with different family members was like some people were more difficult than others. <laughs> and then yeah, there's so much when you are a bi person, it's a double-sided coin of both privilege and people invalidating your experience constantly every single day for your entire life. Um, because I came out as bi and I think that was a lot easier than somebody who was coming out as like gay or lesbian or trans because in my specific case I think it was easier for certain people in my family to think oh well Sadie might still just end up with a guy which is what happened because I picked a person not aside <laughs> and because and because I wanted I you know I <clears throat> was prioritizing having kids when I was looking for relationships and the first person, the first, the person I found that wanted children that I fell in love with happened to be a man. It's not my fault. I didn't do it on purpose. I mean, everybody's experience is different. Right. So I think, I, I think what I'm saying is I kind of looked out on both of those coming out experiences and had a pretty easy time. I mean, comparatively, not that it was easy, but it was compared to other people's experience. It was easier. We've gotten messages from listeners who have said things like, I came out to my parents and then my you know, ex-parent or one of my parents just refused to talk to me uh, for years after that. Or they would say that they were leaving fundamentalism or something and then go through a period of like two or three years where they were very low contact or no contact. And then they would decide, okay, well, maybe I want to have a relationship with my parents again because I'm in a committed relationship with somebody and I want to be able to introduce this person to my parents and I want them to know what's going on with my life. And then that's when they come out. These are all just like variations over the same thing, but it really, I guess it really depends on the person's individual experiences. Mm -hmm. And both can be difficult and in some cases dangerous. So that's always something if you have a friend who is going to come out to their parents about their queer identity, or if you have a friend who is going to tell their parents that they are leaving the IFB or another high control group, that is a really, really good time to give them what support you're able to give. Yes. Uh, Do you want to move on to the next question? Let's go. Okay. So um, our next one is about parenting. So this one should be fun. Uh, This question is, uh, what have some of the biggest discoveries you have found exploring parenting outside of the IFB slash IBLP and are they positive or are they negative? This could be its own episode, honestly. Oh, yeah. And I, I will probably do an episode at some point. I This may be an incredibly hot take only 10 minutes or so into an episode. <laughs> um, I think non-IFB parenting is harder. I did not have children of my own within the IFB, but I did extensive babysitting and early childhood um, teaching at church. And honestly, it's a lot harder when your toddler has opinions and is allowed to express them. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) it's tough. Um, But no, I there are very, very few things from the IFB that I brought with me 
One thing that the IFB kind of recommends is um, Montessori type parenting. So that's a rare win for the IFB. But Montessori is a little crunchy and the IFB like things that are maybe a little bit crunchy sometimes. That are a little crunchy, but not hippie at all because you can't love the environment too much. Now in, in IFB and IBLP world, it's kids being forced to do labor because their parents, like, like in the case of the Duggar kids who had to help build the house because that was the only way it was going to get done. So I've had to modify a lot of the things that I learned from that. Like I don't, my kid is only two and a half, so I do not make her do any chores, but I give her the, op the option to help. And I found the things that she actually enjoys and likes doing. Um, right now, she really loves loading and unloading the dryer. We have a top load washer, but a front load dryer. So I will take clothes out of the washing machine and put them in a basket on the floor and then have her load the dryer. That's something that she really enjoys. So that's her little chore right now. So I found that that um, the way that I was taught within the IFB to let small toddlers and babies and small children do your household work with you as much as possible. I found out that that was something I wanted to keep. Uh, I do think that parenting a toddler is harder when they have their own opinions. And I'm sure that parenting a child and one day 18 will be harder when my, <laughs> when, when the kid has not been broken into submission and has their own opinions and is used to having agency. But it's, it's also really neat. Parenting without the IFB playbook is scary because when I was 15, 16, and I thought about my life now at 30, I assumed that I would have a playbook and I would read Jack Kyle's baby books and his toddler books and assume that I would, that would be my plan. And having to throw that plan out the window and start over is daunting, but it's also really neat. And I try to look at it as a neat experiment. You know, this one guy who was an abusive cult leader said to do things this way. Uh, and I know the results of his method. Well, child psychologists and friends who have extensively studied this and books and websites that I read say to do things this other way. And I don't know what the results of that will be, but I'm following the science, I'm following good evidence, and I'm going to get to see what the results are. And so I try to frame it for myself like that as a, as a positive and exciting thing rather than the fear of giving up the playbook. You know, what you said about uh, bringing Chuck with you to help on little chores and stuff, I can just imagine Jonathan having her, like if he needs to do some like repair work around the house, having her like with him, you know, showing her how to use a screwdriver, stuff like that. Uh, uh, she changes guitar strings with him. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And she's getting big enough. Like when she was a year ago, when she was closer to 18 months, this was a lot harder. And now we're recording this the week after she turned two and a half. So now she is sometimes <laughs> able to follow directions. Like I'm going to take something hot out of the oven. I need you to back up three steps and she can count to three steps and reliably back up and stay where I put her. And so now it's, it's a ton easier because as long as she is rested and fed and 
has her cup of attention full and all the other things she needs, she can reliably follow instructions. I cook with her almost every day and she is able to identify, oh, this thing is hot. I cannot touch that. That is a sharp knife. I cannot touch that. And I am able to trust her a little bit more, which is great. That's what you want though. That's, I mean, the independence is ultimately, I mean, it might kind of suck now when you're trying to wrangle her, but like as she gets older. Well, yeah. And I think I, I think I said something about this on an episode that may have been six months ago or may have been a year ago. It was just a hot, hot, don't touch thing. Yeah. That ended and up that, that was in. Oh, okay. That was when we were talking about to train up a child. Yeah. So I've talked about doing things with her takes me twice as long and makes twice as much mess. <laughs> but I am really confident that the result is going to be a five-year-old who can make a grilled cheese sandwich for herself as long as a grown-up is nearby. I'm pretty sure that's what I'm going to get. Well, that'll save you time in the long run, I think. Right. So twice the time and twice the mess now, while I have the time and the mess to spare, is I'm pretty sure it's going to give me a really cool result in a few years. And it already is because I can literally put the laundry on the floor and walk away and come back in five minutes and the dryer is loaded. So uh, I think it's about time to move on to the next question, but that was a great answer for that one. Um, This question, uh, it it comes, I want to read this whole quote for you, which says, and they're talking about their summer camp experience every six to eight years or so, when a new high school group would cycle out, the theme would be the persecuted church. Enter trauma. The first day, we, yeah, we would be woken up at 4 a.m., yelled at, for, forced into chapel, and then staff members of the camp with masks and guns, Jesus Christ, would barge mm-hmm. in and kidnap the pastor and threaten the campers. Then it would all be revealed as part of a theme, and we'd go over the rules for the week. We all had to carry a literal brick around the entire week to represent smuggling Bibles. If you were caught without your brick, you would be punished at meals, usually in the form of having to perform embarrassing acts in front of the camp or being thrown in the horse's water trough. Ew. So this person's question is, did you ever attend summer camp where the theme was the persecuted church? No, but this theme was really prevalent in my life. I don't think, I think I would remember if our camp ever did this. <laughs> Gut check reaction would be the only reason my camp didn't do this is because they were short too many staff members. <laughs> <laughs> this is one hundred percent something that they if they had if they had thought of it and had the staff they would have done it because there were firearms at my camp. The theme, this like idea or theme, was prevalent throughout my life. Though my school had a school chapel one time where there were not actors with guns and costumes that came in or anything like that, but we were told to imagine it. So I went to school chapel and everyone was made to take their Bible up and put it away in a box. And then we were told to imagine that people with guns and uniforms had just come in and taken all our Bibles away. And it was now our job as like, you know, a a school of first through 12th grade to reconstitute the entire Bible from memory and see how close we could get. Wow. How close? I'm curious. How close did you get? I mean, we didn't have time to get 
to get through every, because it was a chapel service. But I know based on who was in there, we would have had thousands and thousands of verses. But the, the whole idea, the whole sermon was, you know, if one day when the government comes to take away our Bible, are you going to be able to be part of the people who put it back together so we can have underground Bibles? And the idea of smuggling Bibles to other places and this dangerous work to bring Bibles places on microfilm, like we talked about um, in Jack Chick comic books. Um, all of that was very prevalent in my life, although we never had the camp theme for it. I remember reading a story of David Hiles doing a church service where he like staged himself getting like kidnapped or something and 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 staged like a, a, mm -hmm. a federal raid. Yeah, this and people have brought this up in our Facebook group. This was a youth conference at First Baptist Hammond in the late, late 70s or early 80s. You got to wonder because that's around the same time as Jonestown that mm -hmm. Jim Jones did kind of the same thing where he would have like, oh, we have to line up and drink the poison now. And there would be like the fake out mm -hmm. nights, and then he, it would be the actual real night when he actually had everyone drink the poison. Yeah. White nights. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a, that was a traumatic episode to make. This oh. is, this is when David Hiles very literally did a white night. Yeah. At youth conference. Copy Jim Jones. All right. That's the kind of guy we're talking about. Um, so uh, next question. Did your church ever participate in, or are you familiar with Awanas? I would love an episode on it. They have a very racist and questionable history. As far as I know, they are still active today. Sadie, what are Awanas? Um, it is a children's Bible study and Bible memorization group, as far as I know. Uh, whatever Awanas is, it was too liberal for the churches that I grew up in in the IFB. So I don't know if they were not KJVO or what was going on with that. We had a copycat group that was Patch the Pirate themed for scripture. So what, what we had is, and I'm pretty sure Awanas is the same thing. You do Bible lessons, you memorize scripture, and it's like Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, but only for the Bible. And you get buttons and badges and gain levels and things like that for how many scripture verses you can memorize. It doesn't surprise me that that the IFB would want to have their own program for anything to do with children. Of course. <laughs> Education of children, Sunday school curriculums, things like that. That was the thing that made J. Frank Norris want to leave the Southern Baptist Convention. That that was Jack Hiles' way of splitting himself off as well, was the Sunday school curriculum and the Right. And if you if your kid memorizes a Bible verse that isn't King James, it would have been better for them to not memorize a Bible verse at all. Yeah. And the the not and like the homeschool curriculum. So no, I I know very little about this particular program, but thank you for the tip on them having some history that needs to be dug into. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, at, after we're done recording this, I'm going to add that to our ever-growing list of episode ideas that we have. And a lot of listeners have written to us lately, by the way, with episode idea suggestions. And we love it. If you guys have one that we really like, then we legitimately do put that on our list of things we want to do in the future. So please keep writing to us and telling us episodes that you want, because we'll do them if we really like your idea. Sadie, next question. Uh, actually, a couple questions that are kind of related so i wanted to put them together these two are music related okay first of all what is your favorite ghost song covers included if you're not familiar ghost is 
is is ghost your favorite band ghost is a, 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 a i would say ghost is one of my favorite bands ghost is a heavy metal slash pop metal band eh, heck i'd say ghost is my favorite band yeah sadie absolutely loves we went and saw them together about a year and a half ago it was a good time oh what's my favorite song yeah what's your favorite uh... song? yeah covers included this person made made the point to say covers included so okay can i do my favorite ghost song and my favorite ghost cover because that kind of feels unfair. You want to do a top five? Um, no, I want to try to push myself to pick just one, but I don't know how I'm going to do that. I know you too well to make you want to pick just one thing. Because like, this is the thing with Sadie is that every time we're like, we need to do an episode, she's like, I have 12 books on that subject. And I'm like, no, you can't read to Sadie. We have a limited amount of time to do each episode. You can't do like, so she will like, I'm trying to be like, if I make you pick just one, then you're going to be like deliberating. So I'm, I'm like, <laughs> okay, top three, top, top, top three ghost songs. Top three. I can do top three and one cover. How about that? That's perfect. Okay. Top three would be, he is call me little sunshine and Cerise. Cerise is a really good one. Yeah. And then my favorite cup, my favorite ghost cover is here comes the sun. Oh, they did the cover of that one. That's cool. Yeah, it's it was earlier in the band's history and some covers from some covers and singles from earlier in the band's history do not appear with the album they belong to on Spotify for example. Well, the next question, Sadie, is somewhat related to that because Ghost is a band that has like religious themes in their music, satanic themes in their music. And this question is from a listener who asks, having listened to a variety of heavy metal over the years, I have noticed that religious themes and religious references are quite common. Sadie, how do you feel? Uh, how do you relate to this as a former fundamentalist and where you are in your current faith journey? Also, specific side question, how do you feel about some of the vulgar and blasphemic artwork in metal? For example, the infamous Cradle of Filth, Jesus is a vestal masturbation shirt so how i i really enjoy religious references in heavy metal <clears throat> there are a couple of metallica albums that get super into this because james hetfield lead singer of metallica's mother was gosh what she, what was she i think she was a jehovah's witness she was very religious and her religious leaders encouraged her not to get treatment for an illness that she had and she ended up dying because of that illness so in his anger and pain after losing his mother a lot of his songs that he wrote for quite a while got very filled with religious references so even in enter sandman which is metallica's best known song they there is a version of the lord's prayer in that song and then also in the song creeping death which might be my favorite metallica song the song creeping death is about the passover the, and there are also there are more obscure reli religious references and scripture quotes kind of throughout metallica there's more than you think i always really enjoy that because it feels like it's an easter egg just for me there are also bands that are more specifically satanic Ghost is a satanic metal band, but it is 
very, very tongue-in-cheek satanic. How did you describe Ghost when we saw them together? You said something about Panic at the Disco. (laughs) Did I? I? I don't remember this. They're very dramatic in 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 that manner. I, I, I you said something about like, theater kids because <laughs> I was a theater kid when I was in high school, and it felt very dramatic. It felt like it was very much in there was. It's very is vaudeville esque the right word? It's very campy. Ghost campy. Is a, it's 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 satanic, but it's really campy. It really right, is. and then you've got someone like. Um, Merciful Fate or King Diamond, which is more satanic, but still very campy. <laughs> you listen to any King Diamond? No, nah, I mean, the, it's really the campy thing just really doesn't do it for me. Um, if I'm listening to like more satanic type music, um, I really am going to, I mean, call me basic, but I'm, I'm really going to go old school and be, it's going to be like Black Sabbath or it's going to be like Ozzy Osbourne, Dio, something like that. I mean, that's not, there's nothing wrong with Black Sabbath or Dio. Oh, absolutely not. I don't know. I think it is very natural, though, that heavy metal take on the satanic themes and, and really the anti-establishment themes of th- that mm-hmm. it, it take on because in this, the satanic panic was saying heavy metal is work of the devil. It's almost like the little Liz, the, the Lil Nas X thing. Mm-hmm. Where- or, or Sam Smith's... Um- performance they did a performance that was satanic themed yeah we're, we're they they were saying for years you guys have been telling me that i'm going to hell and then i made a video where i went to hell and you guys lost your damn minds uh, i think i think all of that has value and has a place when we get into vulgar and blasphemous art in metal some of it i like and some of it i don't like and that's okay I don't feel that I have to like everything. I want all of those things to do someone some good because there are blasphemous or vulgar lyrics or art in metal that feel like they do me some good. They make me challenge a thought that I had. They make me dig deeper into my own beliefs and values. They bring me joy. They make me feel liberated. They make me feel happy. They make me laugh. That's value that is being brought to my life by these lyrics, by these songs, by certain artwork. And I think if there's artwork in metal that I don't like or lyrics that I don't like, my hope is that they're bringing actual positive value to somebody else. In my opinion, and this is this is generally my opinion, is that you can be blasphemous if you want. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to do that, then you should be doing it for a reason. It should in some way really serve the message that you're trying to send. The, these are tools that have a certain gravitas to them when you use them that if you just use them for the sake of using them and if you just try to make stuff that sounds blasphemous for the sake of being blasphemous for you know just because you want to then it just kind of becomes sort of boring and it loses its teeth in my opinion if there's nothing really backing it up um as far as like concept wise yeah i 100 percent see where you're coming from i want if there is you want it to to be doing somebody some good and you also want to reduce any harm to people who don't need to be harmed now being being shaken up or being offended is not harm 
Right. But I think, you know, we keep things that are truly disturbing to some people that there isn't a specific reason to disturb them. We maybe try to keep those things on a back shelf and save them for the people who get good out of them. Because my my whole life, I want to be bringing good to other people and preventing any harm from other people. So all of that stuff, I think it absolutely has a place. And as far as it interacts with my own uh, <laughs> ever-changing lava lamp of religious beliefs, I do not want to believe in a God who is so petty that a little joking would hurt them. I don't believe in a God whose divinity is diminished by making fun of it. And I, I don't believe in a God who is so childlike that they would strike somebody with lightning because somebody said something that they didn't like about themselves. Although that is a God that would strike somebody with lightning because they brought a weird fire into the... <laughs> 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 um, no, uh, uh, that that's really well put, Sadie. Thank you for answering that question so well. Um, we have a Duggars question now. Actually, there's a there's a we have a couple more questions we're going to do, and then we're going to go to break. This is a Duggars question. Um, this one says, uh, Anna Duggar gets a lot of hate because of her refusal to leave, uh, and in parentheses, divorce the pest, which I feel is unfair as she doesn't have the tools with her upbringing to figure out the path out. Do you feel, based on your upbringing in the Fundy Circle, is it possible that she or others like her will eventually have a moment of clarity and run for it? Oh, will she? Yeah, do you, do you think that she's going to I why would she leave? Cuz she doesn't have to deal with Josh for like 12 years. She has 12 years when she doesn't have to worry about Josh and Jim Bob's going to pay for all of her expenses. Like she she's good. She's like she's set. She's also 35. Yeah. And by that time, by the time Josh is out of jail, she's not going to be able to have any more kids, is she? Probably, I don't know. It is likely that she would not be able to conceive any more pregnancies without medical help. I will she know if she was, I, at this point, I think if she were going to, she would have, if she were going to cut and run, she would have either at the time of the trial or shortly after the trial. Could she? Yes, but it would be extremely difficult. I don't ever want to make it seem like we can't criticize Anna for not leaving because I don't think that's quite right. I think it's okay to to gently and lovingly point out that she the girl ought to have been gone. She should have been gone. And that the the morally and ethically correct thing to do would be for him for her to leave her husband. And that the thing that we would like to see would be for her to leave the IBLP. And if she chooses to remain Christian, to find a more compassionate and loving way to practice that. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. But I think whenever we do, it is our responsibility to recognize the roadblocks that have been put into her way literally since birth uh, that make that so difficult. Because even out here in the non-fundy, non-IBLP world for women specifically to leave partners who are abusive is so difficult. I read a statistic somewhere. I think it takes an average of seven or more attempts for someone to leave an abusive partner. And that's played out over and over again in stories that we've received from listeners and stories that I've heard from friends. When you compound that with educational abuse and neglect, when you compound that with financial abuse, 
when you compound that with misogyny and the culture that she has been raised in from birth, I think when we talk about the fact that it would be ethically and morally better for her to leave, we can do that with respect and while acknowledging how extraordinarily difficult that would be for her. But do I think she ever will? No. It's also worth noting that if she wanted to leave the IBLP and if she like she has family members, she has in-laws who would be able to help her. Right. And that is why fundamentalism seeks to cut off members from that sort of family or friends who could be a help. I mean, she's been told that those people are wicked and sinful and that they've rejected the good teachings that they were given. So even someone like Jill, her sister-in-law, has rejected the good teachings that she's been given and she's strayed far away from God and there she has been taught to fear people like that. And also, we don't know the details of any of the interpersonal relationships between any of these people aside what Jill said in her book. And Jill only really said, talked about her personal relationships with her parents and didn't really talk about her personal relationships with any of her siblings or any of the people her siblings are married to or any of that, other than the fact that they were willing to help her move, uh, even at times when she was on the outs with her parents. So that's kind of like... And I, I, it's it, it would be inappropriate for us to speculate on any of those things. Next question. Oh yeah, uh, Gavi, what do you think of the Jews for Jesus? What do I think of Jews for Jesus? Is that Jews for Jesus are Christians that like to cosplay as Jews? There is no form of Judaism that recognizes Jesus as the Messiah or even as a prophet. There is no form of Judaism that believes in his sacrifice because human sacrifices are expressly forbidden, as we talked about last week in our episode about the story of Jephthah and his daughters. We don't really, we, it's nah, not, <laughs> they're, they're Christians. They like our vibes and they want to pretend to be us. It's kind of similar to, you know how we talked about this last week is that Bill Gothard, his whole, the IBLP and all of his wisdom booklets, his advanced seminar, his basic seminar are all just him wishing that he had a Talmud and making yes. his own Talmud where he says that he can kind of, boil down every commandment into the Bible into one of these seven principles or 12 principles or something, however many principles there are in the basic life principles. And then from those principles, he can derive every truth or every rule and you have to follow those rules. And it's basically just his own form of, of uh, religious law, like a Talmud, except instead of being argued over for years and years and years and years and years and generations and generations and, and centuries, it's one guy made all this shit up because he thought it was smart and he thought it was a good idea. And he doesn't understand how science works or the brain works or biology works or anything. Uh, but he does think that vultures are better than eagles. And that's important. Yes. <laughs> so it's kind of like that in that it's, Christians who want to be like the Jews because they're a little, they got a little bit of FOMO because, uh, because we're God's chosen people and they're not. <laughs> I'm joking, but I'm not. <laughs> um, and, and I would encourage, like, if you are a Christian person who really, really wants to get 
Christian anti-Semitism out of yourself and out of your language, even if you, you know, might not realize that it's there, you can, you can correct people around you and you don't have to, you don't have to start a major flame war on the internet every single time. But I would encourage you to maybe practice some phrases that can help. I am huge, huge on practicing phrases. But hey, I'm sure you didn't know that. But the way that you're talking about the Pharisees is something that we now realize is anti-Semitic. And it would be better if you phrased this differently. Or it would be better if you just completely took out this point and made your point about hypocrisy otherwise. Yeah. The one thing that I, I the one caveat that I would like to put to this is that maybe don't go so hard on this as to alienate other people because one of the things that i've kind of come to realize the more research i've done into it is that anti-semitism is so baked into like european culture like to the core of european culture that it's like just part of the wallpaper and we're just kind of good with a lot of pieces of it now like for instance witches jewish stereotype vampires jewish stereotype ghouls Jewish stereotype, goblins, Jewish, like all of the, every like bad character in European mythology is like a Jewish stereotype. And it's kind of funny. Yeah. And on, on this particular issue, it's not necessarily helpful to treat the person who is repeating these anti-Semitic tropes as a bad person, because it is so likely that they just do not know because it is so prevalent and everywhere. Yeah, but if like if you have like a friend who's like, I'm going to Wicked, and then you're like, you can't go to Wicked. Witches are a Jewish stereotype. You're bad. <laughs> like, don't just like chill. Like <laughs> Right. But if you but if you see a Christian person who is is really going hard on the the Pharisee stuff, which we've discussed on this podcast and may do a whole episode on eventually you can maybe nudge them towards making a point about hypocrisy without needing to use that particular analogy. So I think we can do, let's do one more question before we go to break. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it says, why do people escape and later get sucked back in despite having a taste of normalcy? This is a great question. I would like to hear your thoughts on it, Sadie. Uh, because the outside world is scary because bad things happen to you in life pretty much no matter who you are. I was going to say, unless you have the kind of extreme wealth that shields you from bad things, but even then, like having a certain amount of extreme wealth and influence can shield a person from a lot of bad things, but bad things happen to everybody. Everybody's car breaks down or gets in an accident or gets broken into everybody has like if you rent an apartment you'll have an appliance go out and your landlord won't want to fix it if you own a house you'll have an appliance go out and <laughs> have to figure out how to find the money to fix it um people have children fall and hurt themselves and unexpected doctor bills come up or unexpected sickness comes up for adults um bad things happen to people and when you've been told so convincingly that any kind of bad thing that happens to you is the judgment of God, or if you have if you have strayed from the church, any bad thing that happens to you is God giving you a taste of 
God's punishment so that you will run back to the church and bad things will stop happening to you. You know, when we're in the throes of one of those bad things that happen to everybody in life, that sounds pretty convincing. And also, fundamentalism is a all-encompassing life philosophy. Once you're in and once you're really in, everything kind of makes sense. And then you get out into the real world and things don't make sense. Things aren't as black and white. And you have gotten out of the habit of making decisions for yourself because you've been depending on the fundamentalist rules and the fundamentalist leaders to make decisions for you. So all of these things can kind of coalesce, either one of them or multiple of them at a time. And the movies and the glass of wine with dinner and the jeans just may not seem worth it to a person. Either that or you may get out of one form of fundamentalism and then find yourself in a different form of fundamentalism that may like like the the ginger dugger thing where she got out of the IBLP, but she's still part of this. I mean, it, it, John Piper, or, or, I mean, John MacArthur isn't, um, he isn't fundy in the same way that she was, but he's his own kind of fundamentalist. And, yeah. the, and she can have a glass of wine with dinner if she wants, and she can wear pants if she wants to, and she can watch Hollywood movies if she wants to. But that doesn't mean that she isn't still fundamentalist anymore. And there's like ranges to this. The other thing that I was thinking about, do you remember Christine Week, the monster energy lady? Oh, Yes. The thing that we, I remembered about her story that stuck out to me the most was that she talked about – this is from like an early episode. This is from like 2021. Um, this is the woman who was convinced that she found satanic markings on the monster energy can and was – and like genuinely believed it. But uh, – and she told this story about how she was raised very Christian, very religious, and she got out of that. And she was doing, uh, she was acting a little bit wild, acting a little bit crazy once she got out of it. Because while she realized she didn't want to be a Christian anymore, she never took that extra step of realizing I can be a good and moral person and not be a Christian. She just said, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. That means I'm a bad guy and I'm going to be a bad guy and do evil things and do sins and things that I think are sinful because I want to do them. Later in life, she realized, Oh, well, actually, I don't want to be bad, but the only kind of morality that I know is the Christian kind of morality. So sometimes you just don't take that extra step, and that might be something that leads you back in. Yeah, and then finally, there's the idea that people know that if they get out and do quote-unquote bad things or actual bad things, um, that if they ever decide to go back in, they now have a platform because they now have a testimony of how... Like if I went back, seriously, if I went back now, I could be speaking at ladies' conferences forever because I could talk about how I used to be a blue, purple, pink, green, whatever-haired feminist, and I could show my tattoos and talk about how God saved me from this evil life that I was living on the outside and how God brought me back to fundamentalism. And I know, even though I very much don't believe that anymore, in the back of my head, that's always kind of technically an option for me. <laughs> if you just decide to go full cynical cash grab. Yeah. Um, now, trust me, I have no plans <laughs> at this time. 
say, hey, Jonathan, how do you feel about dressing like a seven, uh, like a sixty year old man? Um, wearing polo shirts and a cell phone belt clip, and you can't listen. The to cell phone belt clip anymore. would yeah. break him. He couldn't do. That. But yeah, I could um, have a testimony and have a platform because of that. So that fallback option is also sometimes like I mean that's what happened to Mike Warnke. That's that's something. That's a reason that some people go back. Yeah, which is a bummer. So why don't we go take up the offering, and then we will be right back and be. Answering more questions. We've got questions about QAnon. We've got questions about um, like how to pick a ch- like how to tell whether a church is a cult. Um, all of these things, uh, and it, it, this is it, we, we've got a lot of stuff coming forward for you. So uh, I, we're really excited to answer all your questions. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May seventeenth. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile. slash switch. Upfront payment of forty five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty one twenty four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty first, twenty twenty four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Hi, I'm Tracy. And I'm Sharon. And we are Feet of Clay, Confessions of the Cult Sisters. So way back in the 1970s, we became radical Christians in the Jesus movement. We were promoted to leadership in the crazy cult commune, Last Days Ministries, founded by none other than Christian music megastar Keith Green. Now we're sharing our decades-long escape from the trauma and abuse of extreme Christianity. We tell our own stories and also invite guests to talk about fundamentalism, purity culture, arranged marriages, child abuse. misogyny, homophobia, (laughs) power-hungry patriarchy, and much more. Much, much more. So join us as we share our journey of healing and humor and how we finally found peace and joy on the other side. Feet of Clay, Confessions of the Cult Sisters, wherever you get your podcasts. We are back from our break. We're answering your guys' questions. And we want to thank you guys so much for writing in because all of these questions that we've gotten have been excellent. um, And we're having a great time answering them. This was a really fun mix of questions. Yeah. 
some serious stuff, some not so serious stuff, some fun stuff, all of it mixed together. And we're going to do this this week and we're going to do this next week too. So um, next question, do either of you have opinions on the sound of freedom and its connections to the fundies QAnon? And do you plan to do an episode? Sadie, what, what do you think of this movie? Have you seen this movie? I have not. I haven't seen it either. For me, because um, it was coming out around the same time as like Barbie and Oppenheimer. Everyone was like, oh, Barbenheimer. And then there was like this weird sort of curiosity off to the side. Um, and I this other thing. Yeah, it's like, oh, there's this other like sideshow thing. Sound of Freedom for me is kind of, you know that Jason Aldean song that's like, got people up in a tizzy this summer the the try that in the small town song yeah the the song about the good old boys club in a in a small town that he filmed where people got lynched that one yes that one uh Mm -hmm. great um very very bad in fact sound of freedom i like i mean i guess i don't go to a lot of movies and i know sadie doesn't go to a lot of movies like I'll go see a movie if it's something that I really want to see or if it's something that I mean it's just been like since the pandemic I don't really go to a lot of movies. For me like that Jason Aldean song is the kind of song where if if it hadn't been like chud affiliated nobody would have paid any attention to it and the only reason why people like th- cuz that song wasn't very good and that song was just like if it hadn't been like to quote unquote own the libs or whatever no one would have downloaded it never would have gone to number one if there wasn't like a political movement behind making that song number one because like the song itself is like the type of song that's like the third to last song on an album and that it kind of goes on and you're just like oh that's an song and it's not really yeah. memorable except for that it has kind of like vaguely anti-liberal like pro chud lyrics but for me sound of freedom is kind of like that song in that if it hadn't been chud affiliated nobody would have paid any attention to it and the only reason why it did any box office numbers is because like right-wing financiers bought out movie theaters and gave tickets away for free i agree with you but i also think it may be a little bit different than that because i are a little bit deeper than that as well because i have attended some bigger christian movies uh like did not see flywheel in theater in theaters because we still believed theaters were sinful but i did see it on dvd same with fireproof Hmm? what movie flywheel what's Flywheel? there was this i'm gonna make you watch it is what flywheel is (laughs) we have a plan where sadie's gonna for halloween sadie's gonna have me watch one of these rapture movies it's gonna be yes And and just so the my friends with rapture trauma, uh, we are going to do two Halloween episodes this year because one of them is entirely in times related. So we are also going to provide a safer option uh, for the ones of you who just can't handle it because I know that you're out there and I do care. <laughs> like I love talking about this stuff and it's not particularly triggering to me, but I know that there are people who it is very very bad for so whenever we do that kind of content i'm trying to provide an alternative for you and an abundant heads up so because i do not want to hurt you i know how bad it is for some people but um so there was this trilogy of christian movies from it's like a loose trilogy like there are it's not a part one part two part three there are characters that run you know a character from the first movie will pop up in the second who will pop up in the third kind of thing 
It's like a Marvel thing, like <clears throat> yeah. cinematic universe. The movies are called Flywheel, Fireproof, and Facing the Giants. I do not remember what flywheel is about, except for that a flywheel is a thing that makes a car go, and it's very important, and Jesus is your flywheel. The flywheel is the thing on the back of the engine that connects the engine to the transmission. Right, and if you don't have one, your car can't run, just like how if you don't have Jesus in your life, you have a bad life. I mean, that could be like any car part, though. Like They could have called it piston. They could have called it uh, prop shaft. They could have called it uh, cam. They could have called it lifter. They could have called it. Why do, uh, all, God, why do all of those sound so dirty? I mean, that's that's the thing with uh, car parts. Is <laughs> that they are, dipstick. That sounds dirty. Suddenly, I understand why all the parts department people are the way they are. <laughs> so anyway, fa- uh, Fireproof is a movie about a guy who is a firefighter and has a porn addiction and his wife is about to leave him over it. But instead of leaving him, she decides to be really, really nice to him for 40 days and see what happens. And that brings him back to Jesus. Uh, Kirk Cameron was in that one. Ooh, man. So you know it's official Christian if it has Kirk Cameron in it. He's like the... And then Facing the Giants is the third movie, and it's about a guy who's a high school football coach and his team can't win any games until they start praying and then they win football games. Oh, so it's like the Christian version of like Remember the Titans. Right. And I think I saw, I may have seen Facing the Giants in theaters, and I definitely saw Woodlawn in theaters. Woodlawn is a movie about how there was a high school football coach whose team couldn't win any games, and then they started praying to Jesus, and they started winning games. Uh, But it's different from Facing the Giants because Woodlawn has Bear Bryant in it. Wait, who's Bear Bryant? I'm done. I'm quitting this podcast. <laughs> Let me, I, I need to Google this. Is this what is wrong with you? Bear, Bri- Bear Bryant. Um, Legendary. September 11, 1913 to 1983. Oh. The greatest football coach of all time, Gavi. Oh, he was for Bama. Yeah, I, I don't recognize that. He is the, he is truly, truly. Like whether you're a Bama fan, fan or not, he is truly considered one of the greatest college football coaches of all time. <laughs> no, the, the the Christian movies thing for me, because the other issue with that was that the guy that made Sound of Freedom was, he wasn't trying to make a QAnon movie. He was just trying to make like an action movie. And the guy that right am i remembering this right i might have this totally wrong because this is just off the top of my head but the guy that was in the movie that like starred in the movie was the same guy that was in passion of the christ who was a total nut job and like he's yeah. like jim caviezel jim caviezel yeah and he's like full q full liberals and zionists and rothschilds drink baby blood to give themselves superpowers like that's the level of yeah. Like Jews are the cause of all the wars in the world. Mel Gibson kind of, that's kind of the level that he's at. So so the, the thing about the reason I was bringing up the these other like more popular Christian movies. Uh, and then there was the whole like God is, what what, what was it? God's the, not dead. God's not dead. What is it? Four movies of that now. And then War Room, which that's the War Room is the other one I saw that I did see in theaters, um, which is about praying i don't remember anything else about the plot. i do not recall a single other thing about the plot of this movie um 
the I think that these previously popular Christian movies that actually played in theaters are a huge part of the building blocks for Sound of Freedom. So I would definitely like to do an episode, but I think it's important if we're going to do it to talk about these other Christian movies because I I suspect that there are a lot of connections. And that is totally just gut reaction. I have no proof of this yet. Is Sound of Freedom a Christian movie or is it just like a... Is it a Christian movie if it doesn't mention Jesus, but a bunch of church groups went to see it and a bunch of pastors promoted it from the pulpit? Interesting. Okay. Is it a Christian movie if, and I haven't seen it, so I don't know, but is it a Christian movie if it has dog whistles and Christianese embedded in it that only Christians would necessarily pick up on? Hmm. I don't know more than having read a few articles about this movie, but I strongly suspect that there is a connection between this movie and other movies that came out when I was still fundamentalist and coming out of early, early deconstruction. So I would want to explore those connections. I think also the the whole save the children narrative is incredibly potent and powerful. I truly believe that a lot of people who engage with this kind of QAnon light content, like I have heard is in the Sound of Freedom movie, are totally sincere and truly believe. Like Ashton Kutcher said something stupid about like 50 million children get trafficked in the United States every year. And I can't remember exactly what number of children he threw out. So that is not a direct quote. But he said something like that on publicly, like stating this as fact. And the number of children that he said got trafficked every year would be like more than half of the children that are born every year in the United States. So like every child in the United States would be trafficked at least once? Right. And these, so these very poorly put together statistics and horror stories that we hear, some of which are true, are really, really powerful to get pure intentioned people into things like this Sound of Freedom movie that may have some ulterior motives and may not quite be as honest as they are purporting themselves to be. So I... I think there are a lot of factors here that make like this movie may not be all that important, but the factors behind it are worth talking about. So I have to figure out how to put that all into an episode without talking for 14 hours so that I can then make an episode. And I mean, the movie claims that it's based on a true story or whatever, but it's a, it's like a movie that says it's based on a true story or based on true events, which means that it's, not based on a tr- it's like the the person that it is based on really does go to other countries and run ill-advised stings to catch child predators and recapture trafficked children to save them and then he does not follow through with actually saving the children huh. so the he leaves the children in unstable environments at high risk of being trafficked again. So from from what I have read, the guy who says, the guy who it is based on actually does make some kind of an attempt to actually save children, 
but it's a very poor attempt that there's there are concerns that he may be doing more harm than good. And even if he were operating on the very best intentions, he may still be causing irreparable damage. So for me, this movie is like, and I, I don't want to say it's in line with this movie because obviously this movie is much less impactful on people. But do you remember when American Sniper came out like in like, I want to say 2014 or something? I went and saw that movie. I thought it was terrible in in my opinion. But there were people that I know that were like never in the military, but were like kind of like that sort of like military bro adjacent people, like people who like to play Call of Duty too much. Um, mm-hmm. that were just like, that's my favorite movie, man. It's so deep. And I'm like, really? That movie? Um, it, it, it kind of is, is sort of like that for me. Yeah. It's, I, movies like that get made for a reason. And part of that reason is that they attract people and get those people to believe their message. So I don't want to, I, and the people that are likely to believe the message of Sound of Freedom are likely to believe it with really good intentions. So I don't want to come down hard on people who went to see the movie. But I think there are a lot of factors at play there that we would have to really get into in an episode. Hold on. I'm just getting uh, just a few minutes ago popped up on here. And it says that the, the guy from Sound of Freedom is being accused of sexual misconduct. Hold on. Oh, well, I am so surprised so hold on which guy is it is it the producer it's the oh so it's both of them the so there's one article from vice that says sound of freedom producer felt the naked breasts of apparently underage traffic oh no 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 that's bad and then here's another one uh and it says from Sound of Freedom subject Tim Ballard. So the first one was about Paul Hutchinson, who was the producer. And then here's one about Tim Ballard. It says, Sound of Freedom subject Tim Ballard blasts sexual misconduct allegations, baseless inventions designed to destroy me. So both of these guys seem like real pieces of work. I don't know. I'm getting, I I don't know. I feel like they're Operation Underground Railroad. To me, it's giving me the vibes of whatever, like the, the, jordan nelson whatever thing he's involved with it's the same yeah it's not the same organization but it is exactly the same thing that they purport to do i don't want to go into big detail on this because i'm sure this is going to be i mean it's going to be like two weeks between when we're recording this and when the story breaks and then like when this episode actually goes out so i'm sure it's going to have been hashed out and hashed out like all the details have been hashed out (sighs) again I, i stand by what I was saying before you got that additional news about this, I I know that a lot of the people who believe in organizations like this have the best intentions. And I'm sure that some of the people who work for organizations like this have the best intentions. However, these particular organizations, which we are discussing have been often shown to be doing more harm than good. And not all NGOs are created equally. Oh yeah. And also, um, the most vulnerable group to actual human trafficking in the United States is LGBTQ minors. And that's why it's very important that like, you know, if your church is going against human trafficking, that it's also a church that is affirming. 
Right, because the the most likely, statistically, the most likely person to be trafficked in the United States is a queer teen who has lost stable housing because of their gender or sexual identity. Very problematic. Make sure that you affirm queer people. Make sure you affirm trans people. Make sure you support the LGBTQ community. And if you see statistics that seem like they are too big to be true, do some math. Yeah, I never, I never want to be the person who when when people stand up against this kind of organizations the response that we will often get is well you don't care about sex trafficking you don't care about human trafficking you don't care about the children and i always want to be a voice for trying to dispel that because um of course human trafficking and sex trafficking are real terrible damaging to real people and a real thing that happens it's but the way that it is presented to us by groups like this is not accurate. Very well put. I think we got to move on to the next question. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I think we actually did talk about that quite a bit recently um, in an earlier episode. Um, I don't remember what I've said ever. Yeah, we. I, I think we did talk about that like a couple weeks ago. I can't remember which episode it was in. So here's another question. Uh, it says, are there any tips that you can offer on how to decipher if a church, and the, the church is in square quotes, decipher if a church is a cult from the outside, like words to look for on websites. Um, and this person says, I have a friend whose daughter hangs out with a couple kids who keep talk taking her to church, including things like church camp. I am so scared for her. For my own uh, limited religious trauma, I have all sorts of alarm bells, but I don't know if I am projecting and I can't decide based on what I am hearing. This is very interesting because there are legitimately churches that it, you know, if a, a young person decides that they want to be involved with that church, that can be a very good thing in their lives. This is also interesting to me because I frequently get targeted ads on Instagram and, and other social media and I'll get targeted ads usually from like non-denominational churches and they've got branding that would have been like really fresh and cutting edge about 10 years ago, but now looks like a little bit chuggy, but like chuggy in the way that like you can tell that they're targeting couples or parents of young children who are in their thirties, who are trying to still be like kind of with it. The people who are like, oh, we're young and we're cool and we're professional, but they haven't quite figured out that skinny jeans aren't like the thing anymore. And every time like I get one of these ads, I go to their website and I try to see what they actually believe. And usually there's a section of the website about church doctrines and it will be as bare bones as possible, but their IG grid will be really curated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get these ads. But then if you go to the website and it what do you guys actually believe? And there will be no actual doctrines in there except for like, we believe in the teachings of Jesus. And that's always a red flag to me. Cause if somebody won't straight up tell you exactly what it is that they believe, because to me, it feels like they're not telling you because they think you won't like it. And that's kind of shady. And they're hoping that you get sucked in and, and bonded with this community before you believe, before you find out what it is they're actually supporting well like Brittany dawn's church or maybe former church possibly um mercy culture i looked up their website and i spent like an hour on their website looking for a single doctrinal statement and could not find anything and a lot of times you have to figure out like in order to find it you have to find who the people in leadership at the church are and then 
Google them and see if you can find anything that they've said in the past. Like, yeah, did they have a blog? Do they have a book? Did Are they super affiliated with a certain college or another minister who will tell you what they believe? And it's a whole, it's, yeah, it's a treasure hunt to try to figure out basic doctrines that this person does or doesn't believe. Yeah. And that's always really shady to me. Like even the IFB may be a cult, but what I will give them credit for is that they will tell you exactly what they believe on their website. And if you don't like it, they'll tell you to get lost. Yeah. That's how you know. <laughs> and, and that makes it really easy to identify IFB churches by the website um, because you can pretty much one or two clicks will get you to a doctrinal statement and they will have all of the IFB SEO keywords in their doctrinal statement. You know, like repentance, atonement, King James Version, authorized, uh, inspiration, and you it's right there. It also, if the website looks like it was made in 1997, then you know <laughs> that it's IFB as hell. But like for, for me though, the place where this gets really kind of sketchy is especially if they're like a church in a major city and they don't have a section on their website that says that they support like that they have X stance on LGBTQ issues and they don't have any denominational affiliation. That to me is a major red flag. And, and it's unfortunate because as somebody who looks at a lot of church websites, like a lot, <laughs> which is why we get, a lot of uh, targeted ads on Instagram for non-denominational wannabe mega churches. Unfortunately, if a church website does not say it is an affirming church, it is almost certain not to be. Of course, there are exceptions to this, but it is it is a, a good rule of thumb. Or there might be a situation where the individual clergy member may be affirming, but the denomination itself isn't, so they can't really put that on the website. Mm -hmm. How to tell if a church is a cult from the outside. Um, see if the church has a dress code posted or if they post a lot of photos of their members. See how their members dress. This isn't um, a rule them out Thing because plenty of churches that are cults or cult-like or extremely toxic, like Hillsong, will have people in very modern clothing on their website. But that's that's one place to look. Look at pictures of church fellowship events. Look at the church calendar. Do they have any interdenominational or interfaith fellowship stuff on their website? That's good. Well, that's you know. Yeah, well, you would have known about the whole thing where the, the this is going to sound like the beginning of a joke, but the rabbi, the Episcopal priest, and the Catholic priest in Portland used to have a inter like interfaith hangout once a month thing. Oh yeah, and also like there uh, at the synagogue that I used to go to in Portland, there was like a stained glass, and they're like that piece of stained glass up there in the up by the roof was donated by the local Catholic parish when we built this building, like, mm -hmm. I don't know how many years ago. And so any kind, but even an interdenominational fellowship, like if this church is a Baptist or non-denominational Baptistic church, and they're attending an interdenominational picnic with the local Methodist church and the local Lutherans, um, that's a good sign. 
again, that's not a single point to rule a church in or out by, but that would be a green flag. Um, the biggest thing you're going to have to do is talk to this kid who is getting involved with this church. Hopefully they have a communication, a, a line of communication with their parents that is very open. And we would hope that their parents would be able to ask them questions about, you know, is what is this church teaching about hell? What is this church teaching? Do they excommunicate people? Um, do you feel fear of hell or do you feel fear of consequences from God if you don't obey this pastor? What are they teaching about obe obedience and authority? But if the, if the kid doesn't have that line of communication with their parents for whatever reason, maybe the question asker can be the adult in their life. Because there are a lot of red flags and green flags that we could see on a church website, but there's never going to be a replacement for asking the person who is look, looking to join a faith community. Also ask them, just casually say, what is it that you're getting out of this? Yes. It, it, that can also be something where if they're saying, I'm getting, I, I feel like I'm part of a community. I feel like I'm doing some good. In the, like, sure, that's perfectly fine. But if they're saying something different, if they're saying, now I feel like I, I know what rules to follow to avoid going to hell or know what rules to follow to avoid bad things happening in my life, then that's a red flag. Yeah. I, I think a really good question to ask would be, when is the last time the pastor preached something you disagreed with? Hmm. And then how did you feel about disagreeing? How did that make you feel? And what would happen if you mentioned to the pastor that you disagreed with him? So that that is interesting. And that's a good that's a good question to ask um any anybody. Like yeah, like any religious friend that you are whether or not you're concerned that they may be in a cult or a high control group. When's the last time your religious leader said something you disagreed with? Why did you disagree? How did it make you feel to disagree? And what would happen if you told that leader to their face that you disagreed, even in a very calm and kind way? Great advice, Sadie. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I, um, <laughs> I will ask people that, like people that I know who go to church, I, I am known to ask them that question. <laughs> No, but that's an important question to ask, and that's that's really interesting. Here's another question, and this one I feel like is is very relevant with the stuff that we've been talking about lately. It says, with IFB and IBLP hating women working and female empowerment so much, why are there so many, quote unquote, boss babes that sell and recruit for MLMs? Do you have any experience with anyone trying to recruit you? So- First part. Do I MLM have experience of anybody <laughs> trying not trying to recruit me at some point? <laughs> I mean, even like I remember peeing, try people trying to to recruit me when I was in high school for MLMs. No, like because because I think that it's like okay because MLMs are a job that you can do without, I guess, uh, quote unquote, working outside the home, which they're like you can't have your woman working outside the home. They rely so heavily on you to sell to others and get them to sell to, to like work under you. If you're the person who is very involved in a specific community, that makes you maybe uh, like it may be a little bit more feasible than if you're just a regular person who's trying to like hawk LuLaRoe or Herbalife. 
because you have a specific people like group of people that you can be the person for that sells those things also many of them like a lot of fundamentalists these days are very into the whole holistic branding that fits in like with the crunchy to fundy pipeline like the whole anti-vax anti-science anti-medicine sentiments a lot of these mlms are very like holistically branded like natural herbal Mm -hmm. from earth like even though you don't really know what's in them so if you're very homesteady or if you're like a britney dawn type of vibes type of pentecostal then they can fit with your lifestyle yeah you've got a lot of that right there are a lot of factors that make especially certain popular mlms just really really work for the fundamentalist i would like to correct you on one point though uh ifb and ivlp don't hate women working um they hate women having agency because domestic labor is real labor and so is working to try to build an mlm business uh even though it's not a type of labor that i approve of in a lot of cases the the issue with mlms you know some of them their products are okay some of them their products are bad and dangerous some of them their products might be pretty good the issue isn't the products the issue isn't direct person-to-person sales the issue is the fact that the people at the top make money by having people join their team if recruitment is what you are actually getting paid for that is just a petri dish for abuse to grow it's just a perfect environment for the person who is at the top to sell their lifestyle. If you prayed as much as I do, you would be in the top 100 salespeople in this company. Or if you dressed the way that I do, if you drove the car that I drove, if you just worked hard enough, if if you're not winning, you're not hustling hard enough or whatever, the issue isn't the product. The issue isn't direct sales. The issue is the focus on recruitment and the recruitment being the path to the top like that's what makes mlms bad and toxic i think a lot of mlms sell this idea that you can work from home you can work from your phone work while homeschooling work while being a stay-at-home mom and that violates fewer ifb and iblp prohibitions about the specific types of work that women can do and also having a built-in community in the church where you can sell whatever it is that you're selling. Also that so many multi-level marketing companies are focused on weight loss. And we know that Mm. that weight loss culture in the IFB can be incredibly toxic and awful. And I think that's another reason that they can have such a hold over evangelical fundamentalist women. Well, also when we, and we talked about this with Brittany Dawn briefly, and there was a point at which I was trying to do research for an episode that I wanted to do where it was about how uh, fitness culture in general, weight loss culture in general often can be extremely culty, but there's just so much out there that I was like, what do I even do with all of this information? I think that fits in very well with it in that the products that you're selling and the way that you're selling them go hand in hand and that the cult control over you trying to sell the products as well as the 
cult control that the or, or the cult like high pressure control that system that you're buying into when you're consuming these products is they, they go hand in hand well it's as yes and it's the same message right if you were filled with the holy spirit enough if you prayed enough if you read your bible enough if you gave more money to the church then you would be the most successful bus captain or sunday school teacher or you would have the most visitors come to church your success depends on you being good enough well if you just worked more if you just posted more if you just went out of your comfort zone more if you just attended more conferences and meetings and seminars and phone calls you would be the most successful salesperson in this company your success depends on you being good enough and if you're not successful you're not good enough it is the same harmful message and it's the same as if you uh, were willing to starve yourself more if you were willing to do all of these training things that I'm doing, then you could have a body like mine. Mm -hmm. you like, if you bought this, if you woke up, at, if you woke up an hour earlier, if you did this, that, or the other, then this would magically happen for you. And that's it's toxic no matter what. So I think. Well, it's toxic and it's not true no matter what, because like things like sales or things like having people come to church depend on a lot of factors outside of a person's motivation. It's it's luck. It's who did you run into on that particular day? It's how much charisma were you born with? Because you could people can always make themselves more personable and more charismatic. In almost every case, a person can choose that for themselves with varying amounts of work. But you can be starting at square zero or you can be starting at square 100. And there are a lot of things that people can do to change their weight, but the size of a person's body is more genetics than anything else. Looking a certain way, looking like a certain ideal that a person may have is going to be exponentially easier for some people rather than other people. Yeah, and there's a lot of different reasons why uh, why your body shape or your body size might change over Mm -hmm. over the course of weeks or months or years or whatever is going on in your life um or hours <laughs> or yeah like mm -hmm. who, who the hell knows no like sometimes i wake up in the morning i'm like man i look really cut today and then i drink a glass of water and i'm like man now i look like really like what the hell is going on here you know what i'm you saying you were dehydrated i was dehydrated <laughs> yep. i don't drink enough water this is a problem that i consistently have is that i just don't drink enough water you gotta <laughs> carry listen bro you gotta carry a water bottle with you i know like, i carry a water bottle i just have it full of iced tea instead well that's not going to help as much as water would by the way, I don't sweeten my iced tea to all of the Southern people out here. I, I You're see. just <laughs> trying to be offensive today. Sadie likes pineapple on pizza. Ah, how dare you? <laughs> hey, I like, literally just revealed this deep secret to you like two days ago. I think pineapple on pizza is perfectly acceptable. I, I personally feel like pineapple on pizza is a seasonal treat. You know what I'm saying? Like if it is July 19th, and I am on like a boardwalk in like a beach town and somebody says, would you like a, 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 a some pizza with pineapple on it? And it's like a teriyaki chicken pizza with pineapple on it. I'm going to say yes, please. And thank you. If it's like me ordering pizza for my friends coming over to watch football, I'm not ordering the pineapple pizza just because I don't think that's like the season of doing it. But I think pineapple on pizza is perfectly acceptable 
if you like it. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, okay. How many? Uh, how much time do we have left? Um, we have about ten to fifteen minutes left. Okay. So why don't we do like two more questions, maybe, okay. and then yeah, and then we'll we'll finish up this episode. And but we'll if you don't hear your question and you post the question in the group, make sure you listen back next week because we're also going to be doing a Q&A episode next week and we're going to be finishing up a lot of these questions. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Questions. This next question is, what is a basic entry-level resource that you would recommend for ex-fundamentalists with little science education to get up to speed on evolution or old earth origins of the world, books, podcasts, YouTube, whatever. I didn't get science past third grade except YEC. What's YEC? Is that young? Young earth creationism. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Sadie, have you done research into this since getting out of fundamentalism? Yes, but I have kind of let it be led by interest rather than trying say so I for me personally, when I tried to understand evolution, I I remember this would have had to be over five years ago because we've just celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary. But at some point when we were not yet married, I remember sitting down on the couch with Jonathan like one night after he got off work and just saying, Hey, can you explain evolution to me? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, uh, you, I'm sure Gavi can, can imagine the exact facial expression that he gave me. What was it like a eyebrow raise, like a one eyebrow raise kind of, it was, yeah. With a slow blink. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that look. I have seen that look. Yeah, my um for those who don't know my husband in person, which is most of you, he is known for his very elaborate facial expressions. It's an incredulous look. Like he's a pretty he's a pretty quiet guy, but his face says it all. <laughs> um when I tr but when I tried to just, you know, get evolution, I just want to like get it. Can somebody just explain it to me and like I can sit for like an hour or two hours if somebody can just like explain the whole thing to me I was never really able to find a resource that would do that I'm sure it's out there somewhere I just haven't found it yet um what I did was research things that I know the most about and that I'm interested in so I got interested in geology for a while 
and I would just read Wikipedia articles about geological stuff and then find. So you, if you go to Wikipedia article and you scroll down to the sources and then just start reading through the sources for that article, a lot of times the sources will come from, you know, real science websites, colleges, um, science websites for kids and teens, like that kind of thing that's a little more robust of a source than Wikipedia. So I would just get into uh, something like geology, or I would have, you know, be thinking about some kind of historical thing like Pompeii, and I would go, huh, I wonder about the geology of the volcano that blew up in Pompeii and start reading about that and reading a little bit about, you know, absorb a little piece about geological evolution and the history of the earth more than 6,000 years ago from that article. So I would, you know, go, if you're into birds, then read about bird evolution. <laughs> or if you're into dinosaurs, read about dinosaurs. Or if you're into if they're the kind of animal that you really like, read about that. Or if, they're, if you're into a certain t botany thing, like if you're, if you like cooking and you're really into herbs, read about that and the different species. And what's the other thing? <laughs> Genus. I was supposed to memorize all of that for ACE and I did not. But I I would I would say read what you're interested in and find a thing you're interested in and then dig into that deeper and try to approach it that way. I'm sh there has got to be a resource that just explains the whole thing, but like I said I haven't found it yet. <laughs> Well, I remember two years ago when we went to uh, the Oregon Museum of, of Science and Industry, uh, OMSI, uh, because they had all those old dinosaur bones. And we were looking at that T-Rex skull that was like 250 million years old. And you were looking at it and your brain was like breaking. <laughs> I was like watching the gears turn behind your eyes. And it's like, there's nothing here. I'm trying like, you know, <laughs> it was like, I was, it, it was like her trying to, to, cognify the fact that this was so old um and that's kind of like difficult for people to get um and i think we talked about that in that episode um but that leads me to another thought which is that if there is a good science museum in your area you could go to the science museum and go through it and find subjects that are most interesting to you and then maybe talk to one of the people who works at the museum, either one of the guides or one of the researchers who would work at the museum who would be able to answer questions, and you could ask them for a specific resource on that subject that you're interested in, because I'm sure that they would be more than happy to recommend you some. Yeah, I do not recommend that you talk to a scientist and try scientist and try to turn it into a debate where you support young earth creationism. Um, because as I mentioned in that episode, I have done that and it didn't um didn't turn out well for me in any sense of the word. It's incredible. That's But I'm it, I, that's that's what I'm trying to say about leaning into your personal learning style because I'm the kind of person the best way for me to have something completely understood by my brain is to read about the thing and then go look at the thing. And then if possible, touch the thing in that order. And then I got it. And then, and then it won't leave my head. Then it's in my head. 
so we were talking on the, on the Patreon exclusive clip from last two weeks ago, the Jill Duggar book, uh, when we worked together at a car dealership, I would sit at my desk on a break and, and sometimes not on a break because that job was, um, anyway. <laughs> no hate. I padded my hours. I would leave. I would go to the gym and then come back and clock out. I did not. I was there, but I was sometimes reading about like spark plugs. I'd go for a walk down in like Southeast Portland and just like walk down to like uh, a lad's edition and look at the Rose garden there for like an hour and a half. And then like get a cup of coffee, at like cup and saucer or something and like an omelet and then go back to work. <laughs> no, I remember this. <laughs> um, no. So I would, I would sit at my desk and I would read an article about an engine part like spark plugs. And I would read about like find a car website and read about what do spark plugs do. And then I made friends with all the mechanics who worked downstairs in the actual shop. So I would read about spark plugs. And then on my next break, I would either go to the parts department and ask the people there if I could see some spark plugs or I would go down if my if the mechanics that I knew and I was super friendly with were working, I would go downstairs and I would say, hey, this engine's open. Can you show me where the spark plugs are? And just I just need to I need to read about it and have a academic knowledge of a thing. And then I need the thing in my hand. And then I would look at the spark plug and I would be able to put all the parts together based on the article that I just read. And then I would watch the person put the spark plug back into the car. And then I would understand what spark plugs are and what they do and where they go in a car. Because I had always been super, super fascinated with internal combustion engines, but I could not understand it just from reading about it. I needed that process of read it and then see it and then touch it. And then now I get it. So whatever your learning style is, find a way to experience learning about evolution within your own learning style. Also, if you are a, uh, a, a scientist or you are an educator and you think that you have some good resources for somebody to learn about these topics, please send them to us in our email, which is leavingedenpod at gmail.com. And we'll put them on our Instagram so that any listeners who um, are interested in seeing these resources will be able to, to find them and uh, we can put them up there. So yeah, uh, do we want to do one more question before we end this episode? Is that good? Yeah, we can do one more. Okay, one more. Um, oh, this is interesting. You'll like this one. This is a good one to end on. It says, uh, Sadie mentioned believing in opt-in salvation rather than opt-out salvation. Is there a recommended resource to help ex-fundies explore that difference more? So opt-in salvation, that's like what the IFB believe, where you go around where you have to go and get saved by Jesus in order to go to heaven. And you have to say the prayer, but it's not magic words, but you have to say the prayer and ask Jesus to take you to heaven. And then you go to heaven when you die. Right. Like salvation is available, but you have to do something to get it. Whereas opt out salvation is the assumption is that you're going to go to heaven unless you like when you die, you have the option to go to heaven. And then unless you absolutely reject God's grace and, yeah, and reject 
all goodness. Um, and then there's, so those are two ways of looking at salvation. And then there's also full universalism, which is the belief that absolutely everybody goes to heaven. I don't know. <laughs> like the worst people ever to live serial killers and genociders and everybody else that God can save anybody. And that is actually quote that. <laughs> So on the scale of orthodoxy and Christian beliefs, universalism is actually more more orthodox than my personal position, um, which is a little wild to me because my my elevator speech would be most people go to heaven. Unfortunately, there isn't a recommended resource for this because there is not really such thing as a general Christian resource. Like there's no such thing as a general Christian resource on salvation because you it is impossible to make a resource that is not biased towards a particular form of belief within Christianity. So there's no like resource that says, well, Baptists believe this, Presbyterians believe this, Methodists, well, it depends on your particular mm -hmm. branch of Methodism. That that is the only way to do it that isn't biased, and that is still going to be biased because you are going to overlook more niche beliefs within Christianity. It seems to me like there's a lot of different, like like how the Calvinists have the belief about election, but that can either be either you're chosen or you're not chosen, or it can be the kind that we have the listener write in about and say, if you want to go to heaven, then God chose you. So it can be mm -hmm. like kind of just because there is a different specific doctrine about it doesn't mean that it's functionally different. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I don't know. It's, so, it's interesting. It's, so it is just, it's really hard because there are so many different types of Christians and there is really so much more room within the beliefs of Christianity for different beliefs on the details than we were led to believe as fundamentalists. I would recommend reading again, honestly, Wikipedia can be a really good source for theology because it is meant to be unbiased. And if you're starting with a text that is at least trying to be unbiased, it's a little bit easier to pick out the biased statements that have been put in there by people who may or may not be doing their best to be unbiased. <laughs> it, and also for the vocabulary and for the source list. So you can read a Wikipedia article and write down vocabulary words and then go look up the vocabulary words like the um, the four types of theology, biblical theology, historical theology, systematic theology, and practical theology. I'm pretty sure I learned about the four types of theology on Wikipedia for the first time. And then like I had that vocabulary word, which was or that vocabulary phrase, which was the missing puzzle piece that I needed to go read more about biblical theology from a Baptistic or evangelical point of view, biblical theology from a mainline Protestant point of view, biblical theology from a Catholic point of view, and get a broader picture. It's, it's kind of the same thing as looking for more information about evolution, because we were taught in fundamentalism that evolution is a very simple belief and that it's pretty much, um, they took like 10% of Darwin's work and simplified it and said, this is it. This is the theory of evolution and this is what you have to fight. And then we get out and we learn 
that there is actually so much more to it and it feels so overwhelming. Well, they did the same thing with theology. They said, well, you're, you're Baptist or you're Catholic because Protestants are just knockoff cat Protestants that aren't Baptist are just knockoff Catholics or you're a heathen and that's it. And when we get out, we realize that there are so many aspects of, of theology that the IFB never touched on. And there are so many different theological views of the things that the IFB did touch on, and it feels really overwhelming. So get the vocabulary words for the things that you're trying to learn about. So in this case, it would be universalism would be a good place to start. Read about the different kinds of universalism, add those words to your vocabulary. Then what I will often do is look up a source that I'm pretty sure I'm going to disagree with, a source that I think I'll agree with, and something that seems to be more in the middle, and read all three, and then start thinking about my own, what I what I believe about this thing. How you view humanity and how you view people and, and, and the reasons why they take the actions that they take, that's going to have a pretty huge effect on what specific doctrines you choose. This, it is, it is a big thing. And I think the last piece of advice I'd leave people with is don't try to rush it. Don't rush yourself. There is a lot to learn and there are a, there is a world of different theological opinions out there. Um, I see so many people get out of the IFB and feel like they have to have a new belief immediately. And I get it. Like, I really do. I've been there. I get it. But the longer you can practice holding yourself in that uncertainty, the more you can flex that muscle, the better. The longer you can hold on without trying to pick a new belief, the better. And I get that it's hard. I really, really do because I've been there. But if you can push yourself to be uncomfortable with that uncertainty for as long as you need to find what's right for you anywhere on the spectrum of belief, I think the better off you'll be in the long term. One sort of like follow-up question to that. How important is salvation theology to when you're trying to choose a new church or when you're trying to choose a new like religious movement that you want to be part of? I think that depends on how important salvation theology is to you. Because if you are universalist or lean towards universalism, it's hardly going to matter at all because it doesn't like, why, why would I care if the way that somebody else thinks we get saved is the same way that I think we get saved. If I think that over 99% of people are going to end up in heaven one way or another, like, I don't care if you think something different than me, <laughs> it's not going to, it's not, it's not going to matter if I'm right. Right. But there's, I, and that's sort of the thing I'm thinking about because there's all these people on the internet. I guess this was the thing from like last year where they would be fighting over penal substitution versus ransom atonement or whatever. And if you believe like, and, and they would go so far, like the, the theological, the theology bros on Twitter would go so far as to say, well, if you think that if you believe in, uh, ransom atonement rather than penal substitution, then it's possible that you don't believe that Jesus's 
sacrifice is actually the powerful enough thing that is the thing that's like that it's just like and that means that you might not be saved and right and if you don't like, believe that then you might not be saved yeah and it's just oh my god oh my god uh i'm glad that's i'm glad i'm off twitter i really am i i i truly i'm glad that i don't have to to read those threads anymore. Um, i'm there until elon makes us start paying for it which is coming actually by the time this episode comes out that might be started so who knows um so you might be off twitter by the time this episode <laughs> airs next week we have more questions from listeners and we have like these questions that we've gotten today have all been really good and we've got more really good ones coming up and we're gonna our, our next episode is going to be kind of like another rapid fire thing just like this so stay tuned for that uh it'll go out next week on next Monday. But if you want to get it on uh, Saturday, if you want to listen to it over the weekend, then you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, as well as a couple like bonus sections of this episode are going to be on there as well. If you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, you can follow us on social media and you can join our Facebook group and our subreddit. Our Facebook group is called Leave, uh, is called Eden Exodus, as is our subreddit. Uh, so it's facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. And our subreddit is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. And our, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on threads at Leaving Eden Podcast. Sadie, your socials, if you please. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on the website formerly known as Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie, and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You have a great day. Bye bye. Thankful I decided to change